You're listening to the Doxology and Theology Podcast, where we promote, encourage, and equip gospel-centered worship. For more information, visit us at doxologyandtheology.com. So I'm here to share about a reformer that I really care about, that I think has been underserved. Uh, His name is Thomas Cranmer. And Thomas Cranmer was the Archbishop of Canterbury during the time of the Reformation. He was a hardcore reformer. He really believed in the principles of the Reformation. And he was in a really wily place because he was serving a king, King Henry VIII, who's notorious for being one of the most fickle kings of all time. And probably for a bunch of those reasons and others, Cranmer's a misunderstood person in history. And uh, therefore, Cranmer uh, is someone that I consider really underrated among the reformers. When we talk about the reformers, we don't talk a lot about Thomas Cranmer. I happen to think if, uh, if Topps, a uh, playing card company, were around back then, that Thomas Cranmer's rookie card should be worth a lot more than it is today. But unfortunately, it's not. And maybe the reason is because whereas Calvin and Luther wrote these major reformational theological works, Cranmer didn't do that. Cranmer was actually, and this is important for us, spending his time thinking about how to apply those things to worship. And so whereas, whereas Calvin was writing his institutes and Luther was writing his bondage and his sermons and sort of putting forth the doctrine of the Reformation in a way that other people could receive it, Cranmer was in the woodshed of worship, crafting liturgies, service structures, words for the people of God. And so, yeah, I do think Cranmer's underrated because he's not sort of viewed on parallel with Luther and Calvin and those other folks like we should think he is. But before we get there, before we get too far, I want to talk about one more thing uh, important to us given the hipster context that we're part of, and that's Cranmer's beard. Cranmer's beard... Another reason he's underrated is that when we, when we bearded folks think about, you know, the beards that we want to emulate, we always look to people like uh, John Calvin, for instance, and, and so we wear these, these shirts and post these memes about how awesome John Calvin's beard is, and I will tell you that the bearded reformer that should win the day is Cranmer, so I propose a beard off. Um, between the, the, the best of the bearded reformers, and so I consulted reformational beard historians. And uh, I consulted phrenologists that study the shape of skulls. And I consulted people who could carbon date the art and the paintings. And uh, as a result, this is is the verdict. Whereas uh, Cranmer, you know, Calvin's came out at eight, three quarters inch. Cranmer's was a robust, full, lengthy 13 and 11 16th inch. That should make us pay attention. But on a maybe little bit more serious note, get this historical fact. During the Reformation, it was common for priests of the church to be clean-shaven. Why? Because it sort of demonstrated your, your cleanliness and your piety before the Lord. You were being set apart. And so as the Reformation was spreading, it actually became common that pastors and priests who sided with Reformational teachings would grow out their beards in protest and would grow out their beards to say, in a way, almost to make a theological statement of saying, I am justified not by my own cleanliness, but by the the works of Jesus Christ. And so, interestingly enough, Cranmer's stated reason why he started growing out his beard later in life was in mourning of King Henry VIII. But people will tell you who knew Cranmer well that Cranmer actually grew it out because he could finally sort of come out of the closet as a Protestant, 
after King Henry died. So take this away, take this to the bank, everybody. To be bearded is to be reformational, right? To be bearded is to be reformational. And I just want to ask the question, why pay attention to Thomas Cranmer? I want to give you three reasons. The first reason is that Cranmer is a part of your history. It goes uh, underappreciated that before Cranmer gave England the Book of Common Prayer, there was, in the English-speaking world, no worship that was happening in English. Worship did not happen in English, gathered and corporate, before Cranmer gave England the Book of Common Prayer. Therefore, in the history of English-speaking worship, you can trace how all your and my denominations have had to, along that history, reckon with the prayer book of Cranmer and decide whether we're going to retain it, depart from it, and, and uh, you know, retain the theology of it or veer off to one side. And there is in our lineage, if we are English-speaking worshipers, there is in our lineage a debt to the work of Thomas Cranmer. And if we study him and what he did and what he was thinking as a, as a convicted reformational Protestant, we are studying our own history, which is really worth doing. Secondly, Cranmer, more than I would submit, more than any other, uh, more than any other reformer, except maybe Zwingli, but who at a conference like this wants to talk about Zwingli, right? Um, except for maybe Zwingli, who was a musician, Cranmer was a preeminent artist. Now people point out that Luther wrote hymns, but people also will point out that Luther wrote them very pragmatically. They were purposefully simple. And Luther wasn't necessarily after the artistry of it. He was after just the impartation of truth. Uh, And we could say Luther was an artist of a kind, but I think Cranmer was an even better artist. And he was an artist with the use of words. Cranmer was a wordsmith. He was a guy that wanted to take the scriptures and the received Latin liturgies and repackage them in a way that was truly an affective, emotional experience for the people of God in England. And this goes underappreciated as well because those of us who think about people today who use the Book of Common Prayer don't necessarily associate that with emotionally charged worship, right? We tend to think of that as, you know, stayed and stuck. But for Cranmer, as he was crafting the liturgy, he was using the affective tools of his day in order to be able to draw out the hearts of the people. Cranmer had a very hearty vision as an artist of what worship was. In fact, I do think that maybe in an anachronistic sense, Cranmer was a charismatic. He really thought about the engagement of the whole self, mind, body, will, and emotions in worship, and he packaged that into his prayers. And so check out this as a model of his artistry. This is one of the prayers that appears in his liturgy. O God, who art the author of peace and lover of concord, in knowledge of whom standeth our eternal life, and I love this line, whose service is perfect freedom. Defend us, thy humble servants, in all assaults of our enemies, that we, surely trusting in thy defense, may not fear the power of any adversaries through the might of Jesus Christ our Lord. What a beautiful prayer. There needs to be songwriters that look at this and take cues from this kind of language. He wrote this prayer for communion, which is beloved among people uh, who still use the prayer book, and I love it. We do not presume to come to this thy table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in thy manifold and great mercies, 
We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table, but thou art the same Lord whose property is always to have mercy. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that the kind of words that you want on your tongue when you come to worship? Cranmer had a way with words. He didn't just want to translate Latin and reorient it. He wanted to give it a heartfelt and and poetic sense, a lyrical poetry, so that it it got from head to heart in the minds of, of the people and in the hearts of the people. And thirdly, Cranmer modeled what it looked like, I think better than any other reformer, modeled what it looked like to apply the doctrines of the Reformation to worship. And here's why I say better than any other reformer. Calvin produced liturgies. Luther produced liturgies. They produced worship services for the people of God. I actually think that Cranmer out-Calvined Calvin and out-Luthered Luther when it came to the very doctrine that they developed, when it came to applying that to worship. And part of the reason why is that when Cranmer was developing the English liturgy, he had in hand Luther's stuff and Calvin's stuff and Martin Bootser's stuff, who had a heavy influence on Calvin. He had in hand all those things. And he was just a a very astute, well-read theologian. He read all their material. He knew it backwards and forwards. Cranmer's library would have put all our libraries to shame. He was was an avid theologian. And so what I want to focus on just for the next few minutes are the way he particularly applied the doctrine of justification by faith alone and sola fide, faith alone, to worship as a way of giving us a filter to think about how you and I plan and lead worship. Last night, Tripp, he talked about the fact that we are always prone to going back to our works-based default factory settings, right? He said that you and I are just ever going to be Pharisees that always want to go back to approaching God in our own righteousness. And I will tell you that the Reformers, and particularly Cranmer, had a unique sensitivity to this issue. And if you study the way that Cranmer redacted the received liturgies, you will observe that he had a huge justification filter. He had a huge sola fide filter. He was very sensitive to all the ways in which you and I might try to take this language of worship, take this song and approach God in a way that boasts in ourselves. And so Cranmer stripped all of that out of the liturgy and it shows up First of all, at the beginning of worship, this is interesting, and this doesn't sound very appealing to us, but Cranmer said, on the front end of worship, I don't want believers and worshipers thinking that they've got any leg to stand on when they approach the throne of God. So I want to make sure to to offer a vision of God to the people that says he is great and we are not. And so he begins worship in this way with this prayer, almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of thy Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love thee and worthily magnify thy holy name through Christ our Lord. O God who sees everything, you see straight into my heart, and you know what a fraudulent person I am. Cranmer didn't want the old Adam, the old Eve, the flesh. He didn't want that to get any, any sort of press in worship. And so right at the top of worship, he wanted to pin our flesh against the wall and say, this has no place here. And the only way you can approach God is through faith in Jesus Christ. So let's set the record straight. God sees it all. 
and you can't get away from it. And just in case you think you can get away, Cranmer decided to follow it up with something that just sort of decimated the old Adam, which was a recitation of the Ten Commandments. And so, and Cranmer set up this little uh, call and response structure. He starts with a, a commandment and then the people of God respond. And this is how the first one begins. God spoke these words. The minister said, God spoke these words and said, I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And what's the appropriate response to that for people who are hearing the law as it's truly full-throatedly being given to them? The people's response can be nothing but, Lord, have mercy on us and incline our hearts to keep this law. Because the implied voice in the middle of this for Cranmer is, here is God's law. How's it going for you? Here's God's law. How are you doing with that? Again, he was interested that we approach God at the beginning of worship by faith alone. So he's very sensitive to the way that we might just come in thinking, hey, I had a good week and I'm going to praise the Lord, you know? And he was saying, be careful. I care so much about justification by faith alone that I want to set the stage for the glory of Jesus by decimating any sense that you got what it takes to approach God. Secondly, Cranmer uh, also thought hard about the structure of worship. Goodness, this could be like an hours-long lecture, but I want to simply say one thing that Cranmer did that might be a thought for us is that Cranmer decided that instead of an offertory where we sort of pray and give ourselves to God and give alms and those kinds of things, instead of the offertory coming before the sermon, Cranmer was so sensitive to that being understood as, as kind of like paying God to receive the grace in the sermon or the grace in communion. He was so sensitive to that feeling like an indulgence or something like that, that Cranmer said, it's actually theologically in line with the Reformation to think that offering only comes after the sermon, only comes after communion, so that it's a response to grace rather than what, what looks like structurally to be something where we're, we're giving in to get out. God's not, not a vending machine. God is a gift giver, and he gives us Jesus. And so Cranmer thought long and hard about the pieces of worship and where they fall because he didn't want to give off the air that we approach God on our own righteousness. And he was just interested in totally eradicating that idea. And then finally, the words of worship. And this is where we can really take it to the bank. Because in our modern worship language, if we look at the way Cranmer edited the received prayers of his day, we'll have a lens and a grid through which to think about the songs that you and I put on the lips of the people of God. Maybe not realizing how the, the doctrine of approaching God by our works is sneaking in to the language and the way that we do it. Because Cranmer's filter was so stringent he was just nervous about any language that would boast in us. And so, for instance, here's a, one prayer, and there's the original, and look at how he changed it. The original prayer that he received, that he changed, was, O oh God, from whom all holy desires, all good counsels, and all just works do proceed, give unto us that same peace which the world cannot give, that our hearts, being obedient to thy commandments, and Cranmer's radar was going off right now, being obedient to thy commandments and the fear of our enemies be taken away, our time may be peaceable through thy protection through Christ our Lord. Look at how Cranmer added to and took away. O God, from whom all holy desires, all good counsels, and all just works do proceed, give unto thy servants that peace which the world cannot give, that both our hearts may be set to obey thy commandments. Do you hear the difference? 
There's no longer a boast there because works come from the work of God in us rather than our ability to sort of obey God's commandments. And also that by thee and we being defended from the fear of our enemies may pass our time in rest and quietness. Not only through, by Jesus Christ our Lord, but he wanted to be more explicit through the merits of Jesus Christ, our Savior. You see how he's just sort of slaying the old Adam left and right in the way he's doing this? Lord, we beseech thee, receive the prayers of thy holy, thy holy heavenly people who follow thee and grant that they perceive what things they ought to do and also have the power faithfully to fulfill the same. Kramer's like, it's okay. But here's how he improves upon it. With the sola fide filter. Lord, we beseech thee mercifully to receive the prayers of thy people, no holy and heavenly, which call upon thee, grant that they may be both perceive and know what things that they ought to do and have grace and power faithfully to fulfill the same. Again, he's putting the onus on the power and the work on God and on Jesus. Finally, in Lent. Lent's a key time when, and uh, I wish the thumb weren't there. (laughs) It was supposed to come a little later. But Lent's a key time where you and I often pray, and and that's the time where we're sort of boasting in our own works, where we're saying, Lent is a time where I'm going to give up a bunch of stuff for Jesus. Cranmer was so sensitive to it that he couldn't even use the prayer for Lent. And he gave his own prayer, which said, O Lord, which for our sake didst fast 40 days and 40 nights, Give us grace so to use such abstinence, so to use what Jesus did, that our flesh, being subdued to the Spirit, we may ever obey thy godly motions in righteousness and true holiness to thy honor and glory which liveth and reigneth. So Cranmer was very sensitive to all the ways in which we try to approach God too much on our own righteousness. But if I can give one more inspirational thought that would encourage you all to go and check out Thomas Cranmer and listen to his voice when it comes to worship, it is this. Unlike many of the other reformers, uh, Cranmer died a martyr's death. Shortly after King Henry died and King Edward took the throne and Cranmer issued forth a bunch of Protestant changes for the sake of the Church of England, King Edward died taking his throne was Queen Mary. And if you know anything about your history, Queen Mary was no friend of the Protestants. She was called Bloody Mary for a reason. She wanted to totally revert England back to its Roman Catholic heritage and faith. And so she um, took all the Protestant leaders of England and killed many of them, killed Cranmer and killed uh, two of Cranmer's friends. She put Cranmer through a lot of torture. And the end of his life is kind of shady because of some of the things that happened under that that torturous thing. And one of the more torturous things Mary made Cranmer do was to go and witness the death of two of his friends, uh, Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer, being burned at the stake. Uh, And so before Cranmer's own death on being burned at the stake, he witnessed them being burned. Um, And it's maybe unclear whether he heard this dialogue between Latimer and Ridley but evidently, when, when uh, Latimer was first being burned and Ridley was there watching it, and Cranmer was watching from afar, uh, as, as Latimer was going up, he said this to his friend. He said, be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust 
shall never be put out. And indeed, Cranmer became a literal candle for the Reformation. And those of us who find ourselves today passionate about gospel-centered worship are his debtors. May the roaring fire of the gospel never burn out from our worship. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.